1: Hello,
2: kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that was first shared on the show in June of 2014 by Joe Mulligan. Here's Joe now with a story we call Like That There.
3: You ever feel like you've just hit the brick wall? You have been dropped off a speeding truck, bouncing on the ground, no idea where you are, how to get back to anything you recognize. That's how I felt failure cloud of failure choking me back then i was a stand-up comedian i was having some success with road work back then i had a wife and a son a baby son who was uh four years old All the travel, which got all the money that we could support ourselves, was having an effect upon my marriage, where I wasn't around and my wife was lonely, and the only thing I could do was to work more, and it kept me away from home more. I felt like I was running on a treadmill of of just uh, working harder to alienate my wife some more, and when it all blew up in my face, I was dumbfounded. And that's why I found myself in this room in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains outside of Boulder, Colorado, with 30 strangers I'd never seen before or since, sitting in a circle around an empty room with a little charcoal fire in the center. We were all there, and even though we had no idea who each other was, we had two things in common. One, we were all seeking answers. Two we had just taken a heavy dose of peyote. My marriage had failed. I'd moved away from my son, my career was floundering, and I needed some answers. I was a lapsed Catholic, and I had never found anything to replace that sense of structure and spirituality inside of me. And I knew I had to do it right away if I was to do anything else in my life. I had read about the Native Americans and and their sweat lodges or their vision quests. When the vision quest, I like that notion. A vision quest, you went out into the wilderness for a week and you starved and you stayed there. And in that hallucinatory state of starvation, a spirit guide came to you and told you the truth. And that just appealed to me. But I didn't have a week To prepare for that, I didn't know where to go, and I was on a busy schedule back then. So I tried to cut corners by going to uh, my friend's house in Utica, New York, and going into the woods there with two hits of acid. It really didn't work that well because, number one, people kept coming in the path where I was sitting and, and trying to talk to me, and I'm pretty much tripping at this point. And then, two, it started to rain, and I gave up. I gave up and chalked this up as yet another failure. I'm not in a good mood. I hear from my friend Iris, who lives out in Boulder, Colorado, and she tells me of this peyote ceremony called the Ceremony of the Rising Sun. Now, Iris explained one of the properties of taking peyote, one of the things that happened to you is that you vomit. And in the course of the ceremony of the rising sun, that would be called getting well. Because by getting well, you would be expelling negativity from your body so I still had enough Catholic left to me to see the pain inherent in that and really uh, find an affinity to that, too. So I flew out to Denver. I drove up to Boulder. I met Iris. Uh, I was told not to eat anything after breakfast, so I had no lunch. We drive up and get to this cabin, this house up in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Somewhere around 6 o'clock, we meet these people who are kind of— earthy hippie people living in Colorado I was kind of a little fish out of water from the East Coast there but we all friendly with each other talked around and we sat in a circle and I saw the man who was to lead the ceremony and his name was William William was a Lakota Sioux that also appealed to me too he was a little rough a little gruff around the edges and he was working so I watched him prepare And I'm really not sure what's going to happen, uh, but I watched him prepare. And William is fashioning a drum by stretching deer hide over the drum with ropes and stones to hold the thing in place. And he's muttering to himself the whole time. He's going like that, like that there, like that, like that there. He tightened it up like that, like that there. And he finally finishes and we all sat around in a circle and William began to speak to us to tell us what was going to happen peyote is medicine. Medicine is good. Peyote will tell you who you are. This is not some hippie's little trip. Peyote will kick your ass and tell you the truth. Like that. Like that there. And that sobered us up a little bit. We all sat around in the circle. And in anticipation of the getting well, we were all provided with a little paper lunch bag that you used to have and just sat by our side there and... So he talked a bit about it, and he finally, after an hour or so of talking to us, he called the four quarters, as you do in ceremonies. He called the north, south, east, and west, and he invoked, and he said some words in his tongue that I didn't understand, and and we sat down, and then... He came to us one by one with a quart jar filled with uh, ground peyote buttons and little powder, little brown green powder. And we all took a big tablespoon of that. And then we took some tea that had peyote and other herbs in it and took that too and some water. And we swallowed that. And then we sat and waited. I had no idea how long this would take effect, and I didn't want to know either. I took my watch off. I didn't want to have any kind of any time structure. I wanted to give myself completely to the ceremony, and so we sat there. And sometimes when you ingest a substance that you haven't ingested before with your friends, you we'll look around at each other going, Do you feel anything yet? are you are you getting anything? Are you getting a little buzz from this? And I didn't know anybody there, so I had kinda of just used eye contact of people and, and nobody's really kind of responding to me. So I just sat there and William took a drumstick and he started beating and he started chanting a little bit too and and, and I'm in a room with the people I don't know and I'm sitting there waiting to get high and, and nothing's happening. And he drummed a little more and then he said we weren't trying hard enough. And, and I was like, oh, no, that was like this first sign of, like, oh, no, no, please, this, this can't fail. This has to work. And and he say, we have to try harder, try harder. And he put on this tape of this music and it was Native American chanting music, and it sounded otherworldly. It sounded not of this planet. There was something very, very below our planet that we're not aware of, and the, there were men singing and chanting, and there was, like, tambourines and gourds and rattles and and drums, but the chanting, it was as high-pitched as and it went on and on, and it, it went through me, but it didn't enlighten, it kind of underlined my gloom that I was not relating to this music at all. This was not in my wheelhouse. I didn't understand what was going on here. And what made it worse was I'm looking around and I'm seeing after a while other people are beginning to get well. Other people are reaching for their lunch bags and and, and tossing into it. And and assistants were there the whole night long. They they took the bag away from you and gave you a fresh one. And I'm, I'm feeling nothing. I'm not feeling part of this. I'm feeling in my own puddle of gloom. Again. And I'm getting mad at myself, and I'm going, come on, Joe, come on, get, you can get well, get well. You bought a ticket to Boulder, you can't even get well. You flew out halfway across the country and you can't puke, get well, come on. And nothing, I felt nothing except this gloom. It just went deeper and deeper, this gloom, and I felt almost as if I was sinking into myself I was collapsing into myself in this gloom and it took me down and it took me down 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 into this room and I could see the guys who were chanting I could see them and and I just sat in the corner there all of a sudden I heard laughing I heard someone laughing And I looked and I saw the person walking towards me and they weren't laughing with me. They were laughing at me. They got closer and closer and I saw my spirit guide. It had to be my spirit guide. But I also saw that my spirit guide was Tommy Udo. (laughs) By explanation, okay, Americans, you know, we don't have the saints that, that maybe are European or, or some of the Christian people have. They have these saints they pray to. I was raised Catholic and had saints. And we don't have saints in our culture. We have movies. We have characters from movies who come and demonstrate an aspect of personality or an aspect of character to us. And Tommy Udo was a punk. Tommy Udo is from the movie Kiss of Death. If you
2: like action as I do with entertainment, you will find it here. This one
3: was written with a machine gun. Pinstripe suit and black shirt and white tie. Tommy Udo is such a punk, he's finding out information about someone he wants to find, and he goes to the guy's grandmother. She's not telling him anything. She's in a wheelchair. He pushes her down a flight of stairs. That's Tommy Udo. And Tommy Udo's laughing at me and stands in front of me and goes, You punk. You You chump." chump. (laughs) <laughs> and I am even deeper in glooms. Like, oh Tommy Udo's my spirit guide. This sucks. Yeah, well, loser, coming out here. You think this is gonna help you? Look at these people. Not gonna help them. Nothing's gonna help them. And I'm not gonna stay here. I'll stay here to remind you what a chump you are. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's- whoa, and, and and he was so big, and I had no idea. How do, how do you get rid of a spirit guide? I don't know. I had no idea. And so I'm sitting there, and, and I was like, something else came up inside of me that said, that which hinders your task is your task. I knew I had to get rid of Tommy Udo, and I didn't know how to, but I thought I should just get up and I get up and he runs away and I remember chasing him through these rooms and I hear the laughter and I follow to the room where it's coming from and it finally comes to this room where there's empty tables and chairs and a stage in the corner with a blue and a red light coming down from it and Tommy Udo standing there in the middle and I go up to Tommy Udo and he <laughs> and I grab him and I pulled him into me and I ...pulled him into my stomach... ...and as I pulled him into my stomach... ...he went out of my mouth... ...and in that moment... ...I got well... ...I got incredibly well... ...and the gloom I felt... ...filtered away... ...like dark clouds... ...before the little blue sky opens up... ...and a huge vista... ...seemed to open up in front of me... ...this beautiful, beautiful vista... ...of sun and sky... ...and in that moment... I beheld the rising sun. Everything I felt, every negativity I felt was gone and replaced by euphoria that I had taken my spirit guide and I kicked him out. He was gone. I had gotten well. It was exhilarating. I'd never felt so euphoric from getting sick before in my life. And I sat there in my moment of triumph as it got light outside the ceremony came to an end and we all got up and a breakfast was prepared for us and and William told us a little bit about his own life by illustration he told us that he had been an alcoholic he'd been down and out on the streets of Cheyenne Wyoming with nothing nothing at all and he had gotten himself straight he got himself back together he would found the medicine and the medicine which was the thing that helped him to stay on his path you know I tried to tell William what this meant to me how profound this experience was to me how cleansed I felt as I began to speak to him he cut me off and he looked at me and he said you're gonna go back to New York and you're gonna talk about this you're gonna laugh about this on stage and that was the last thing I thought about. I didn't, number one, want to share this with anybody. This is kind of a really profound personal experience, and, and number two, that would be mocking. I I, I didn't want to do that, but I kind of was sorry that he had said that, and I flew back to New York. I resumed my life. I had a little more kind of a boost to move things along and get things going again. I, I, I certainly picked up the pieces and, 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 and went on with everything, and I wasn't feeling like I was a failure again. It's a profound experience. I've thought about it often since it happened, and I was sad when I had heard that William had hit the bottle again and that even this wasn't enough for him. He was... Sometimes when you're newly cured, you have to hold on to the things that brought you there, and I guess it was disappointing that he had succumbed and that the medicine wasn't even enough for him. I was sobering to think, too, that... As he said, the bad medicine can come back like that.